during the 2016 Donald Trump presidential campaign, Eaton Cohen, the writer of Idiocracy, was asked about what it was like predicting the future and said, I'm no prophet. I was just off by 490 years. First, what's on second? I don't know who's on third. Elementary, my dear Watson. What's in the box? Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. But why male models? Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me sure. Well, nobody's perfect. Go ahead. Make my day. century, the Army began a top-secret experiment. Meet Joe Bowers, our first subject for the human hibernation experiment. As you know, this is highly classified. However, if successful, we believe humans can be stored indefinitely. However, the trial run was prone to human error. See you in a year. And Joe slept slightly longer than expected. Half a millennium, to be exact. From Mike Judge, creator of Office Space and Beavis and Butthead. Oh, my God! Oh. If you were the smartest person in the world... This goes in your mouth. This one goes in your butt. Hang on a second. This one, this one goes in your mouth. And we're stuck with the dumbest people in history. If you have one bucket that holds two gallons and another bucket that holds five gallons, how many buckets do you have? Two? What would you do? Excuse me, um, I'm actually supposed to be getting out of prison. You're in the wrong line. Welcome everybody to Pop Culture. I am Scott. I'm Jason. And I'm Monica. In this episode, we are talking about the cult classic Idiocracy, directed by Mike Judge, who brought us such wonderful gifts like Beavis and Butthead and King of the Hill. <laughs> um, yeah, Jason doesn't seem super impressed, but... <laughs> no, I had better things to do with my time than watch this film again, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I've wasted 80 minutes of your life. <laughs> well, I better start keeping a tally for the ones <laughs> Just so that it starts becoming more potent, these things. Um, yes. Look, look, we were talking about cold classics, and this film has absolutely become, uh, I think, at the time it was certainly not appreciated. No one went, no one saw it. <laughs> like I did. Really? <laughs> well, I at the saw cinema? It very early. Not at the cinema, but I, I was going to say, you want to make this movie only made $400,000 at the box office. I'm like, you're yeah. significant if you saw yeah. this at the cinema. No, I saw it when it got released, I think, DVD or whenever that point was. Yeah. Pretty much straight on, away based on the. I premise. saw it on Foxtel, I remember. And um, I didn't particularly enjoy it, and I still don't particularly enjoy it. So it's not that I'm I'm not coming to this as like a beloved, warm <laughs> cult classic. Don't don't um, don't think that yep. of me. Uh, but it is a cult classic. Huh? <laughs> it's the message. <laughs> I thought I didn't want to do another horror film for cult classics. Maybe I'll just do that from now on because apparently I, I pick better horror films than I do <laughs> comedies. <laughs> uh, 
I thought, you know what? In this weird time where um, the internet is warping people's opinions and uh, through all this like crazy anti-vaxxer stuff, I just kept thinking about this movie. It just kept playing on my mind and I'm like, I want to revisit it, but I'll may as well make two other people suffer while I... <laughs> while I revisit it. Um, I think there's some... You're welcome. I think there's something oddly uh, interesting about this film, and I think it's... uh, I mean, it's it's certainly blunt force trauma in its approach to its themes, but I think it does have something to say that would have gone over a lot of people's heads at the time. Yeah, for sure. I guess um, we have a direct corollary with the Trump presidency where it brought a lot of the themes of classism, science, healthcare, law enforcement out into the light with an actual living example of what what happened to those sorts of um, structures in practice. Um, So if that, um, thank you, Idiocracy, but um, I do feel dumber after watching this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what they misunderstood, Scott, because... I, I think, think there would be people who would just. I, I know I do, but I think there would have been people who were like, "That's funny," <laughs> when they're the people that this movie's making fun of. Like I guarantee it. Yeah, uh, I I think it's a strong premise, and the only thing you needed was that infographic moment in the film, which I think is the the strongest joke in the whole thing. <laughs> the um, opening. Yeah, the opening infographic. <laughs> The moment it goes into explaining the average guy going into this experiment and things, that's it. Gets lost. Yeah, I feel this communicates low intelligence as a defective genetic trait that's passed down. I find that a bit mean spirited, um, rather than <laughs> no, Reverse I do eugenics. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But um, it's it does it takes that approach rather than a cautionary tale about education and the system that fails to educate people because as you said in the um, the introduction of the podcast you know social media has really taken a a really strong grip on people and that's how misinformation spreads and suddenly everyone becomes an expert on something so Mm, i feel like they made this film now well obviously social media wasn't really a thing in 2005 no i feel it would probably take a different yeah myspace (laughs) what Remember Tom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yes, it, it's. I guess it it's not really that predictive, from in my books. I don't think it's done anything outstanding that other films hadn't seen way before as well. I mean, you could look at a lot of films in the eighties and even things like nineteen eighty four a lot of science fiction from the 70s do bring themes up like what we we see in this but done in such an awkward dopey you know i just wanted to sort of go <laughs> as a way of describing it because that's what the dialogue's like and it's um yeah i i really think it's missed the mark entirely in the humor is so base that that any satire is lost to that yeah completely it doesn't really that i can understand the satirical take but it just doesn't 
come across that way. It's just too, uh, what's the right word? Shallow? Too shallow and almost too lowbrow. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. But, uh, yeah. I'm not disagreeing with either of you. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's not good. Uh, I'm not uh, saying uh, it's good. No, no, no. And to give any credit to it, I have to say the imagery sort of like the landscapes and you know buildings tied to each other to hold them up and all of that it, it's quite fun to see and i think it is a redeeming feature of it but uh i just the whole premise part of having a prostitute and the most average guy being the test subjects for this thing sounds like we're stupid in the first place little you know, yeah. it's like it didn't didn't make sense from there and so when it goes into the whole look how dumb people are now i i'm not laughing yeah i think um an interesting film to maybe compare this one to is um wally <laughs> the disney pixar film it deals oh, look with at, uh, de-evolution looks at de-evolution it sort of takes place in a dystopian future where it sort of has similar imagery to idiocracy you have all of these buildings but instead it's garbage and it's all tied together and it looks mountainous and all that kind of stuff but we see people in space they're very much a shadow of what humanity was like in the past and everything's handed to them they don't need to think about things um the physiology has changed because of it i just feel probably looking at the children side by side probably wally's the more intelligent of the two films that communicates a similar theme not probably Definitely. <laughs> I was trying to be polite. You were trying to be diplomatic. <laughs> trying to be diplomatic. I'm I know. Curious. Yeah. Like, what do you think it is that is um, about it then that has given it this sort of longevity? Like, why have people? Do you think it's just that base level? Like, it's the it's the easiest thing to point to. I think it might be that. Yes. Yeah. The the premise is its only selling point. I think, and mm. uh, it, it is easy to talk about. You know that movie that where everyone's just so dumb in the future concept gives everyone this easy target for their own gratification or power and empowerment now when they go see everyone's stupid and it's it's just so badly done though i i like so many things don't make sense to go down that track for it to work that i can't suspend disbelief enough to even enjoy the jokes if there are any good jokes uh where okay we're in the future technology has actually progressed because they're still producing things and they're still mm. sort of fantastical science fictiony type technologies where did that come from don't know um <laughs> probably the electrolytes <laughs> yeah maybe yeah. Uh, yeah. but i'd say people find it very very easy to point out that premise and say, see, this is the way the world's heading and it predicted it. Um, I don't know if that's really what's happening. And I think Monica brought up probably a more perceptive view of the world is that we've always been guided by media and history quite often goes based on media yep. um, or the strongest part of history. Uh, historians will actually go, no, we want the letters of people at the time and things where it's nothing to do with the media because it's a synthesized thing. Mm -hmm. And our ability to discern from what we're presented in the media and acting on that compared to 
the actual reality of what's going on in the world is where things really are. And this was seen way back with like things like 1984, yep. the book. Yeah, and Brave New World. And Brave New World. So for me, I just go, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Which I it's think is where it, it's, it's almost like a... a um someone read Brave New World at, at, uh, at high school and was just like, took the bits they could remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they looked at the study notes and then yeah. and yeah, approached they didn't them. Actually, <laughs> they didn't actually read the book. They just, <laughs> they, they faked it and, and, you know, passed the assessment. <laughs> they couldn't yeah. remember. They were like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I... I hate to say it, but it's it, it's a case of people who point to this aren't as perceptive as perceptive as they think they are. It's yeah, it's, that's probably all I could say there without sounding rude. It's probably <laughs> maybe another way to look at it is that um, it's probably too much of a surface level interpretation. So they understand that this is a representation of something, but they don't quite understand why or how it's a representation of something. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, which yeah, I think it's, it's all interesting because we all obviously uh, think pretty terrible. Um, but like I said, it's a cult classic, and it's got seventy four percent of Rotten Tomatoes. Like this is actually quite a well reviewed film, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. is odd. I think that's why I find it such an oddity. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. <laughs> I, it it could be a lot to do with. Uh, an American centric the American, aspect to it. You think so? And maybe a, they a see it more than we, we do. Yeah. And that's very possible because even though it's in Australia we do get lots of American television, we still have a pretty wide selection of other uh, countries and shows that influence what we watch, as well as our own television and film. Mm. So we don't sit just in the middle of the American-centric experience. So mm. we, we tend to have a perspective on it that's We've a little different. We've got our own cultural baggage as well. Yeah, yeah. and we're, we're not the same and culturally either. You know, I'd say we're far less polite than Americans, as an example. Um, mm. we're, we're certainly looked down at anyone who's built up high, whereas it's probably the opposite in America, so as an example of a cultural difference. So mm. when we look through our eyes, we just sort of see absurdity and maybe not mm. the nuances that the uh, American sees. <laughs> the we sharp don't... satirical cultural experience that is. No, I, I think Jason's onto something. We don't have that concept of um, um, exceptionalism in everything. Yeah, um, no, yeah. And as well, the parable that we're sort of comparing this film to is the Trump presidency, which is, again, something in an American context. It's something that's completely outside of our own experience. Not that, you know, we have bad politicians or, you know, things don't get we, crazy we, down here, we, but it's We don't different. have the personality thing either. Like the, uh, no, you know, I think it's, I think there's a, I think there's an element of it that's shifting that way in terms of that kind of like political cult of personality, but oh, yes. it, it, um, it, over there, it's you, you're voting for a person you're voting for, not voting for a political party or a, you know, a set of ideals. It's like almost voting for individuals. Yeah, where I think it's starting to come across that way here. Well, people so misunderstand, misunderstand like the, how, yeah. how, the, how the system actually works where it's like, well, I didn't vote for him. And I'm like, well, not how that actually The number of works. times <laughs> one has to explain preferential voting. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't vote for him and they stabbed him in the back and changed lead. 
Well, you, 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 the party. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really matter who is the PM. <laughs> like, no, they get to play musical chairs as often as they want. Yeah. <laughs> Point is, you don't pick them. I'm thinking now that if the conversation spun out like that. Um, yeah. Maybe this is where idiocracy does come into it, where uh, this absurd proposal throws people into conversation about whether it is or isn't really going that way and um you know maybe that's that's how it works and why people critically appraise it as being better than what we're seeing um yeah i suppose it could be a good... it's the uh it's the intellectual conversation starters <laughs> yeah i think it's it's like a little springboard if you want into the conversation more than presenting a lot of ideas it just makes you start talking about it and maybe that's why people point to it a lot more than i would like i'd rather they go read 1984 or one of those things because read a book are you yeah. out of your mind are there pictures <laughs> in the book yeah. <laughs> you can get a graphic novel version of it if you really want the illustrated <laughs> the children's illustrated version of 1984 would be fantastic yeah. Yeah. But, um, I, I, was, I was reading Fahrenheit 451 the other day and it just made me uncomfortable. <laughs> but, no, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're onto something there, Jason. Like maybe this film is sort of like um, uh, apocalyptic um, intellectualism for dummies and then that sort of gets built upon when people talk about it. Yeah, and probably given too much credit for that. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, incorrectly say. places all of that onto this movie, whereas there's plenty of other examples that do a much better job. Hmm. Yeah, and I don't think Mike Judge is a bad. I mean, Office Space I quite like. Like, I don't think yeah. he's bad when he sort of tackles comedy, but this one is certainly not as uh, pointy as Office Space or um, even King of the Hill as a cartoon. It's sort of got a much more um, solid footing. Yeah, I, I love King of the Hill, so um, my expectations were quite high for this movie because that's my yardstick, but it sort of became a high bar that the movie just couldn't jump over. <laughs> <laughs> the movie did have a broken leg. <laughs> yeah, it did. It limped towards everything. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I didn't, I, did, I didn't pick this because I love it or anything like that. I, it was a cult classic that I sort of thought I'd go outside my comfort zone as well. Mm. Oh, look, I don't think that you have to keep doing horror films. It's fine to yeah, but I kind of want put to. these in. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine to put these in. Yeah, once in a while, it's a good way to put I think it's also because I don't, there's not a lot of comedy I enjoy. Like, I've got a very specific comedy that I like. And, and maybe it's, like, I don't enjoy things like, American Pie and the stuff that was coming out when I was kind of growing up. I really like things like The Big Lebowski and <laughs> sort of, you know, it, it's harder to find comedy that I enjoy. That's probably why I gravitate more towards horror films and things like that because I can be like, yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's well, completely fair. Comedy is hard. Like I have to say to choose to make a comedy, you're, you're taking a big risk because it's mm. so easy for people not yeah. to laugh. Um, not, not and that's your goal. It's your goal to make people laugh. And if they're not laughing, you failed straight away. You Whereas failed. with a horror, um, it's probably a little easier to achieve some of the goals. It scare someone or make them uncomfortable. Yeah, make them uncomfortable just by being gory. It's pretty easy to do. Um, you can work that out very quickly. The plans are there and a lot of 
horror books, but comedy's got to surprise you in a way that gets you laughing, and it's mm. it's a hard one to do. So you know, I have to say kudos to people who try it, but to be honest, some shouldn't. There's worse films than this. I'm, I'm not going to say this is an example of it. I'm just saying there's much worse comedies than this. Mm. Uh, but there was one joke in the one. film that made me laugh. Oh, what was that one? It was just where the uh, it was right near the beginning, and it was um, they were putting them into the sleep pods, and mm. the the um, the military commander who was spending all his time with the pimp walked, and he was like, "All right, my niggers," and it like caught me off guard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But other than I, that, I smiled at the infographic. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, same. I think um, back to your point, Jason, as well, with comedy being really hard, it's also got a very short shelf life. Um, it ages very quickly and that makes it really hard to relate to because if you don't see it when it comes out, you're not always going to get it. That's also, well, it, those, those, that's the mark of not good comedy either. You yeah. have to tie it to a time and place. Mm. It's not sort of a universal, but also the element of surprise when you watch a, a comedy for the first time. Usually, it's that's when you're like laughing and things, and then the ne- it has diminishing returns every time you watch it. That shock's gone. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it goes to show that films, for example, Monty Python. You know, that's why they're so enduring over time because it's still fresh and it doesn't tie itself to a specific time frame. It's just a silly for silliness' sake. <laughs> But then I find some of them, like a Holy Grail, I couldn't watch again and again and again. But something like Life of Brian, I could. Yeah, fair like, enough. It, it, it's different. But then something like The Big Lebowski, I'll laugh every time. Like, I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> different, just... different type of comedy. Really yeah, yeah. <laughs> different type of comedy, that one. Mm. Uh, it's not skits. Yeah. Which, mm. essentially, Monty Python's a whole lot of skits. Mm. Uh, but put together in a nice thread that works really well because of their style and so on. But Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, I think back to, say, the Flying Circus, the dead parrot sketch is always going to work. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not stuck tied to not having to be relevant to something. Or if you like, if you're the one person who hasn't seen the movie, they're making fun of your shit out of luck. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas I'm always going to laugh in Holy Grail the scene with the rabbit. So every time it's funny. <laughs> Because it's absurd. <laughs> oh, I embrace the Robin running away. Yes. <laughs> yes. But yeah, unfortunately, uh, Idiocracy, I think, had a, a good concept and was aspiring to be something that I guess would have been really worthwhile, mm. uh, but just doesn't hit the mark ultimately. Yeah, I would agree. If you love it, though, because obviously some people do, let us know. Like, jump onto our Facebook page. You can go Facebook. Um, com forward slash pop culture pod we're on twitter like let us know why you think it's great why it's a cult classic yeah or if there's any other films that you think do a better job than this one and tries to explain it in a similar way let us know or if you want us to review another cult classic like this? list those yeah <laughs> just like this mm. so yes idiocracy i'm sorry apologize <laughs> she says through gritted teeth <laughs> <laughs> cool thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of pop culture i've been scott i'm still jason and i'm still monica
Pop Culture is produced by and recorded by Jason Eddy, Monica Porto and Scott Souter. The clip for this week's show was a trailer for Idiocracy and the song at the end was Buckaroo from the Idiocracy soundtrack. If you're enjoying the show, please I invite you to jump on the Apple Podcast and leave us a review. It helps us expand the show and reach new listeners. If you'd like to find us on social media, we're available at Facebook, facebook.com forward slash popculturepod, on Twitter at popcultureau, on Instagram, and we are also available on YouTube.